to the Icon Church podcast. Icon Church is one church in five locations. Our vision is human flourishing. We pray that this podcast helps you to flourish in life. For any more information about Icon Church, log on to our website at www.icon.church. We hope you enjoy this podcast. So we're at this series across Christmas we call Jesus is King and uh, today's message is called Closed on Sunday. I I don't know if you've picked it up yet but Jesus is King is an album that's come out by an artist called Kanye West and uh, and every sermon on this four-part series is a song or a title of a song off the album. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're actually going to watch the video for the song Closed on Sunday, then I'll explain it and then I'll tell you where we're going. So why don't we do that right now? Watch the video for Closed on Sunday. Here we go. Chick-fil-A, you're my number one With the lemonade, raise our sons Train them in the faith, through temptations Make sure they're wide away Follow Jesus, listen and obey No more living for the culture, we nobody's slave Come on, give it up for Kanye. 
So uh, this album, Jesus is King, obviously is all about uh, Kanye and his um, conversion, coming to follow Jesus Christ, etc. Uh, if you do choose to listen to it, you might say, oh, I'd like to listen to some more Kanye music. Warning. <laughs> right there, you, you, will fight, you will hear some things you didn't expect to hear. Um, but obviously, what is a story of God's grace. This guy's got a past. Uh, a very, very well-known past in many areas, but actually right now is in this place of following Jesus and wanting to promote Jesus. This song, Closed on Sunday, is, is really about protecting his family from culture. Um, and, uh, and one of the inspirations is Chick-fil-A. Closed on Sunday, you're my Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is a fast food restaurant in America that sells chicken. But don't think KFC. This is a whole nother level of, ch- of chicken. And also Chick-fil-A sauce. Now, I'd never had Chick-fil-A till recently. I don't know if you've had uh, Chick-fil-A. Um, but Sam and I were in America recently and we'd got a... Uh, uh, a late night flight, well, a 10 o'clock flight from Charlotte to Dallas. And I said, well, we can have Chick-fil-A in the airport for the first time. What was amazing to me was there was all the restaurants there, everything that you would normally expect. And there were some queues, but Chick-fil-A constantly had this huge long queue uh, to it. Our flight got cancelled in the airport. So we had to go to the American Airlines. That's who we were flying with. We went to American Airlines stand. They put us on another flight. And, uh, uh, but the problem was this flight was going through Miami. So rather than going 10, 10 o'clock till half 11, arriving in Dallas, ready to preach at half nine in the morning, the following morning, this would take us into Miami and then out of Miami at 6 a.m. in the morning where we'd get into Dallas at, at half eight and then I'd got to be preaching at half nine. So we, we're tr- frantically trying to change things. We've had some Chick-fil-A for the first time and both been blown away by it, look at each other and thought, wow, this is what all the hype is about, Chick-fil-A sauce. And uh, eventually we got, we got talking to American Airlines, trying to change the flights, trying to tell them I need to be earlier in Dallas, etc. And, and they were trying to find flights for us. And eventually they found us, we could fly to Austin, which isn't too far away, and uh, stay in the airport overnight, but get an early flight into into Dallas, which I was really happy about because I got a bit more time to prepare myself so that I was ready to preach at 9.30. They flew us through Austin, which was fantastic. They flew our bags through Miami. (laughs) So we still ended up picking our bags up at 8.30, which was fine because the church was only 20 minutes away. But when we we were talking to them um, about changing the flights, they said, oh, we, we can't really do anything for you. We, you know, this class of flight, we, this, airport, this uh, you know, plane, we don't really, can't really change too much. We can't put you on a different carrier. We can't this. But what we can do is give you some food vouchers. We looked at each other and we said, double Chick-fil-A. We went straight back to Chick-fil-A. But the inspiration for the song from Chick-fil-A is because the owner is a Christian. And he will not trade on a Sunday. He's closed on Sunday. And, and he trusts God for his finances. They're super profitable. You should see the lines on a Saturday. People getting Chick-fil-A on a Saturday are incredible because they know they can't get it on a Sunday. And he's taken inspiration for, for this. But this song is about closing doors. It's about being closed and closing doors on things that might damage your family. 
That's what he's talking about. Protect your daughters. Closed on Sunday. Fighting for what you believe in. And I want to explore that theme today about how we need to close the doors on some things so that we can receive what God has for us. Because many people live just wide open. Just just pour it all in. And then wonder why their life doesn't work out why they thought it would work out. Why they don't discover God's purposes. Why they don't discover the peace, the joy that they felt was promised to them because their lives are wide open. No, you've got to close the door on some things. And so I want to explore that. And I want to explore that in the first family, this Christmas family. Mary, Joseph, Jesus. So I want to read two passages just to get us going. First is from Luke chapter 2, verses 26 to 38. And then just, I think, one verse from Matthew chapter 1. So... Luke chapter 2 says this, In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. She knew something was coming next. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this happen? How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I think the angel would have stayed around until Mary said yes. So thankfully she said yes quickly. And then just one verse from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about how much trouble there is in the Christmas story. A Christmas story is beautiful, isn't it? See, I was just doing what the angel did to Mary there. I was just waiting until you agreed. A Christmas story is beautiful, but it's full of trouble. Full of trouble. Mary is a teenager. She's a pregnant teenager. She's engaged but the father isn't if the fiancé. God says to Mary, I pick you. God doesn't seem to ask the question, can I use you? God comes and says, I pick you. I've chosen you. You are highly favoured. I think sometimes, most of the time, well, really, even in this case, God negotiates with us. But sometimes he's less direct. Sometimes he's, not I pick you. Sometimes he said, I've got this for you. 
Do you want it? And there's a negotiation that takes place. And the negotiation is where God shows us the goodness, the favour, the joy, the life, the dreams, if you like, that He has for us. And we choose our level. That's the negotiation. In this instance, God's a little bit more direct with Mary. He says, I pick you. This is what I've got for you. And Mary said, let it happen to me, to your servant. It's still a negotiation. She's involved. But she started that conversation afraid. What about Joseph? Mary has to tell him she's pregnant and he's not the father. You can imagine that conversation. Well, whose baby is it? Whose baby is it? Well, the Holy Spirit did it. Well, yeah, right. Okay. The Holy Spirit did it. An angel visited me. Well, I mean, in their culture, they, they would be open to that. They would have that in the history, but it's not something that happens every day. An angel visited me. There's trouble between Joseph and Mary. So much trouble that Joseph decides he's going to divorce her. And of course, divorce was something you could do. Once you were engaged, you were pledged to be married. That was it. It was if you were married. So if you wanted to not go through with the marriage, you would divorce somebody. Joseph's an honourable man, so he didn't want to shame Mary. He could have, but he decides to put her away, the Scriptures say, quietly. He didn't want it in the papers. He wasn't wanting to do an interview with the BBC. Some other people should have took his advice. They get to Bethlehem because there's a census. Everybody's got to go to their own town, but they get to Bethlehem. But it's not smooth sailing in Bethlehem because there's no room for them. And they end up giving birth in a stable, in a manger, a place for animals. It's hardly a palace. There's a lot of trouble around this story. And then they go to the temple when Jesus is eight days old, which is they would go to the temple and, and uh, be thankful to God. And Simeon, Simeon is there and he's been waiting to see the Messiah. And he, he's, he, he comes and he has this kind of this magnifica of, uh, of praise and worship. But then he turns to Mary and says to Mary, a sword is going to pierce your heart. In a moment of rejoicing and in a moment of celebration, he turns to the mother of Jesus and says, this is going to be painful for you, as if it hadn't been already. You're going to experience sorrow. Then there's Herod, who decides he'll kill all the babies in Judea under the age of two years old. And so the family, warned by an angel in the night, escape this because they flee to Egypt. Egypt is 70 miles away which is roughly the same distance they've travelled from in Galilee down to Bethlehem, you know, to, to go to the own, uh, their own town for the census. They've got another 70 miles in the, away from home to get into Egypt. Not easy. But Mary and Joseph, this story tells us, are overcomers. And the reason that they're overcomers and I'm glad they are overcomers because we're here today celebrating a saviour because they overcame. But the reason they were overcomers is they closed the door on some things. They didn't allow some things to creep into their heart and their lives and stop them pursuing what God has for them. They didn't just live wide open and say, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. They lived focused and closed the door on some things. 
You see, I love this because the Bible doesn't paint a picture that we will never face trouble or sorrow or hardship. The Bible's too real for that. It's too human for that. It's divine, but it's also human. I mean, even the Messiah is going to have trouble. Constantly have trouble, the Messiah. With Jesus, it was constant, the trouble he faced. And this family, Joseph, Mary and Jesus, are going to be overcomers because they're going to close the door on some things in their life. We're going to have a look what moment. But it reminded me as I was thinking about this message of 2017 when, as many of you know, I I was ill and and, uh, was kept alive in the hospital. I'm so thankful for that. But I, I was listening to this song called Not Today by Hillsong United and uh, there's just that refrain in it, devil, no, not today, within this song. You know, and I remember closing the door on thinking what the consultants and the people had said that we, I was going to die and that I wouldn't live. I remember having to shut the door on that and actually declaring, devil, no, not today, not today. So here's three things that I think we have to close the door on if we're going to receive what God has for us, the promise, the joy, and everything. Here's the first thing. You have to close the door on magnifying your mountain. You've got to close that door. Like, you cannot live. Now, let me just say it straight out, just like an angel with. You cannot live magnifying your mountain. That's how the angel would say to you. You can't do that. Mary, Joseph, Jesus all had mountains. You see, we make this story beautiful at Christmas because it is. But it was never without trouble from the moment the angel visited her. The story is beautiful because it's divine. It's miraculous. There's angels singing. There's, you know, all these beautiful images of clean, unsmelly sheep and everything that we have. It's beautiful because it's divine. Jesus, the Son of God, turns a smelly, germ-filled, unsanitized feeding trough into a thing of beauty. Because that's what happened. And that's what God can do. In fact, that's what God always does. Whether it's creation at the beginning of time, whether scriptures tell us the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep and God shines his light into the darkness and he turns something that is chaotic into something that is beautiful and ordered. It's what God always does. Or whether it's also our lives and healing our souls and man, we need that. We need that because every human being, if they were to look deep into their soul, would realise there's chaos, there's darkness. It's like a smelly, germ-filled, unsanitised feeding trough. But the good news of Christmas is that Jesus is King and He can turn. It's beautiful because it's divine because He can turn that into a thing of beauty. He can turn that into a thing of beauty. It's, it's, It's beautiful. One of the prophets said it like this, God gives us beauty for ashes, telling us that this is what God does. But it's also human, this story. It's real. There's fear, there's shame, there's disappointment, there's feelings of betrayal. All these things have to be overcome. There's loss, there's joy, there's sadness. It's a human story. It has all the elements of a human story as well. 
And if this story tells us anything, it tells us this, we can't magnify the mountain. And wherever we are, whoever we are, we have mountains. We have them in our lives today, but we can't magnify that mountain. That mountain exists. Mountains will always exist. And humanity will never escape the need to scale mountains. And humans will never escape the desire to scale mountains. And if you have a problem today, and who doesn't, it means you're alive. You're human. You're breathing. If you feel something today, and I hope we all feel something today, sadness, joy, fear, hurt, it means you're alive. And sometimes that is your mountain, but we have to close the door on magnifying the mountain. We know they're real. In fact, if you and I lose the desire to scale mountains, it means we've started dying. If we lose the desire to overcome, it means we've started to die. So you need to, we need to close the door on magnifying our mountain. The second door we need to close is close the door on getting your identity from your environment. She's a teenager. She's a pregnant teenager. She's a pregnant, unmarried teenager. That's their environment. But the angel says, Mary, you're highly favoured of God. She could have got her identity from her environment. She was going to have to get her identity from somewhere else. They would end up in Egypt. You know what that made them? Immigrants. Our Saviour was an immigrant. A stranger, a foreigner. Stranger in a strange land. He could have got his identity from the fact of being an immigrant. Unwanted, unaccepted. He was the target of hate, hatred. He was the target of assassins. There were people out to kill him more than once, constantly in his life. He couldn't get his identity from his environment. He couldn't get his identity from there. A guy used to come to this church, actually, a young, young guy. And um, one, one day, I remember in the foyer, his mum said, oh, tell Paul what you want to do when you, when you, you know, leave school and everything. He looked at me and said, I want to be an assassin. Uh, thankfully, that's not how he turned out. Jesus was uh, a construction worker. His father was a construction worker. He was the son of a construction worker. Hard, hardly a king. Hardly a king. But he couldn't get his identity from his environment. Uh, Jesus carried with him the stigma of being conceived before marriage. He carried the stigma of his father dying early, taking over the family business, becoming the provider at a young age for his mum and his brothers and his sisters. Jesus carried all of that stigma and weight. He's a king, but he's not born in a palace. He's born in a stable, a manger. We sang the song today. I don't know if you know this yet or not, but that song, Little Bethlehem, has been written by our guys. I think it's amazing. But listen to what it says, Little Bethlehem. I remember some uh, amazing uh, friends of mine who are Americans and 
And I remember driving down the A1 and uh, coming, go, driving past a restaurant called Little Chef. Anybody been there? And they said only the Brits would call it Little Chef. In, in America, we'd call it Humongous Chef, you know, but you call it Little Chef. But it was the Little Bethlehem. What, what about Nazareth? Can anything good, they say, come from Nazareth? He was a king, but he was reliant on others. The stable was probably the home, part of the home of some relatives. We westernize and modernize the story, so we think when it says no room at the inn, that's the king's arms at the end of the road. But no, a stable, a first century Jewish home, would normally have some sleeping quarters, some eating and living quarters, and then it would have, and sometimes these were on different tiers, sometimes at the end of the house it would have uh, some quarters for animals. And they've probably visited some relatives and family in Bethlehem, and they've said, we've got other relatives here for the census, and there's no room in the sleeping quarters, there's no room in the living quarters, but you could go and live with the animals, stay with the animals. That's probably what that was. You see, the environment is not the place you get your identity from. And you have to close that door. You have to close that door. Stuff happens in our families. Stuff happens in our workplaces. Stuff happens in our world. That's not the place that gives us our identity. You have to close that door. And the third door we have to close is we have to close the door on failure defining our lives. This family is going to change everything forever. And to do that, they're going to have to overcome. And they will overcome. They'll overcome the rejection they face, the mountains that are in their way. They'll overcome discomfort, disappointment, discouragement. They'll overcome loss. They cannot see those things as failure that defines them. They have to overcome that. You know, when we did the This Is Us um, series, I told the story of Columbus, who in 1492 was looking for a trade route, a different way to Asia, and he actually bumped into the Caribbean. Not a bad place to bump into. He bumped into the Caribbean and discovered the Americas. But the point of that was this, that pioneers see failures as voyages of discovery, and that failure is an opportunity to redraw the map. If you look at some of those old maps and you think, is, you know, this is what people thought our world was like and it's nothing like what our world is like. But the failures were voyages of discovery that helped them redraw the map. So how are we going to do it? I've got three things and then I've closed. How do you close the door on magnifying your mountain? You magnify the God who is with you. That's how you close the door. Matthew 1 I just read one verse, but let me read a couple of more verses from there. Matthew 1, 20 to 23, it says this. After Joseph had considered this, divorcing Mary privately, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what she has conceived is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus which means saviour, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place uh, to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Two names, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, saviour. 
That's where we get our identity from. The God who is with us. Who He is. And and Joseph here, take take Mary home and focus on this, that God is your Saviour. That God is your Saviour and that God is with you in this moment. You've got a mountain. It's a huge mountain. You're wanting to divorce this woman, but Jesus is your Saviour and God is with you whilst you're facing your mountain. How, How do you close the door on focusing on your mountain? You focus on the God who is with you, the Saviour who was sent for you. You magnify the Saviour. You see, you can't make Him any bigger than He is but you can make him bigger in your eyes. You can make him bigger. You can make him bigger through worship, bigger through focus. Psalm 34 and verse three says this, oh, magnify, 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 magnify the Lord with me. It doesn't say, oh, magnify your mountain. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Choose to praise Him. Choose to be thankful for Him, for who He is. Focus, focus, focus. Magnify the Lord with me. Exalt His name together. When you magnify something, you focus on it. I brought my magnifying glasses today. Gina likes to look at the birds in our garden. I can't see a thing. I've got a light. But you see, I, 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 I can look at all of you or I could see the logo on somebody's shirt. I could magnify that. Yeah. See, you could have a wide lens of your life and you could see all the problems and all the mountains or you can focus on the God who is with you. And you can say he is Lord. You could say he is King. I know there's a mountain over there, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is King. I, I know there's trouble coming around that bend, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is King. I, I, I know there's some needs coming in my life, but God is my provider. That's who He is. You focus. You choose to be thankful. He's with you. He's with you. Emmanuel. Two names. Emmanuel. Saviour. God is with you. Magnify the God who is with you. That's how you close the door on magnifying your mountain. How do you close the door on getting your identity from your environment? You believe what the God who is with you says about you. You believe what the God who is with you, Emmanuel, says about you. You see, you can believe your circumstances. You can feel like you're an imposter. You can feel you're undeserving. You can, you can do that. You can accept all of that. You can believe what you say about you. You can believe what others say about you. Or... You can believe what God says about you. Or you can believe what God says about you. God says that you're a new creation. He says that you're loved. That you're loved by God. And by the way, if you're loved by God, it's impossible to be unloved. Hello. If you're loved by God, it's impossible to be unloved. See, God sees things in us no one else sees. It's not just potential. It's not just possibilities. God sees things in us and about us no one else sees. And I want, to, I want you to understand this, that even Jesus needed this. Even Jesus had to focus not on what others said about him, not even what his family said about him at times. He had to focus on what the God who was with him said about him. 
twice. Jesus needed it twice. He needed to hear these words twice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had to hear it twice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If Jesus needed to hear it, you and I need to hear it. And that's how we close the door on getting our identity from our environment. We're not perfect. We're sinners. We're saved by grace. We're flawed. We, 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 we can know the truth of who we are and yet we can know that we are loved, accepted, chosen by God. We can know that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter's talking to the whole church, but it, it relates to us as individuals. You are a chosen people. Chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Like you, you can just believe you're a kid from Shybrook or you can believe you're God's special possession. Now, if you believe that you and you only are God's special possession, that's another conversation. <laughs> but you can believe that you are God's special possession and you are God's special possession and you are God's special possession, Rosie, in your antique dress. And you are God's special possession and you are God's special possession and we are God's special possession. that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Can you see what he does? He takes the smelly, dark, unsanitized manger. He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, I, like I, we can come to worship and we can say, oh, I'm God's special child. Or I can come to worship and say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are king. Because I'd, I'd be lost. I would be lost. I would be broken. I would be all kinds of things if it wasn't for you. But I can thank you. Who will you believe? What will you believe? Believe what the God who is with you says about you. And the final thing, which was around failure, is how do you close that door on failure? Defining our lives, you treat failure as a springboard to the greater things that the God who is with you is about to do. I know it'll take you a little few moments to write that down, so I'll say it again. You treat failure as a springboard to the greater things that God who is with you is about to do. By the way, statistics, there's some new statistics out. It used to be that 65% of people who take notes in church make it into heaven. That has now changed to 78%. I made that up on the spot, by the way. It wasn't funny. I just want to read as in closing one final scripture. But before I read that scripture, I want to say this. All this is possible because Jesus is king. We sing songs that say there's no other name. There's no higher name. No hay otro nombre. Just practicing Spanish. No other name. Sin nombre más alto. There's no name higher. No other name. It's beautiful in any language. There's no other name. There's no name higher. And because Jesus is King and that Jesus is Lord, He's bigger than our mountains. He's bigger than our environment. He's bigger than our failure. 
Come on, if you believe it today, come on. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding. He's bigger than your mountain. He's bigger than your mountain. You've got to get some of these spiritual glasses and focus on the God who is bigger than your mountain. He's bigger than your environment. Whatever that is, whatever that scream, it might be screaming at you. It might be telling you stuff. He's bigger than all of that. He's King. He's bigger than your failure. Way, way bigger. He's bigger than all of that. And your failure can be a springboard to the greater things that the God who is with you is about to do. We struggle with closing doors, don't we? I think we struggle with closing doors in our, in our lives. We also struggle with doors closing, things going wrong, things not working out. But sometimes things happen for a season, for a time, and they're just put there by God as that little trampoline that projects us into what's next. And we spend all our time crying because we, we lost what was there. And God just wants to use it to take us forward. I've got my Bible because I've got one set of verses I want to read. Romans 8, 37 to 39. No. Paul's talking about can these things that come against us, can they overcome us? Or will we overcome them? It's the question of life. No. You need to, somebody needs to hear this this morning. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, I love that. I am convinced. Are you convinced today? Are you convinced? God wants you to be convinced today. Doesn't want you to be condemned. Convinced. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, not today, devil. I love that. Yours, devil. I did say some other words to the devil, but I won't say them here. Neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, able to, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know, we always say in our church, we don't just want to preach to your Sunday, we want to preach to your Monday. But I think if we can grab this today, this will help us on Thursday. Because on Thursday, there's a God that's with us and we can focus on Him. There's a King, a Lord and Saviour that we can put our focus on. And whatever our mountain, whatever's happening in our world, whatever's happening in that big vista, we can say Jesus is Saviour, Jesus is with us, Jesus is King. We can focus on that. On Thursday, when I'm tempted to believe what my boss said I am on Wednesday, when I'm tempted to believe what my family thinks I am, what I'm tempted to, when I'm tempted to believe what I say I am, because I know the depths of my soul and the darkness in my soul, I can reach out and look at God and I can believe what He says I am because He knows me. He knows me and He knows things about me that I don't know myself. You know me better than I know myself. And on Thursday, when I realise what a failure I can be and how much I can get wrong in my life, 
I can close the door on that failure, define me, and I can say, there's greater things still to come. There's greater things still to be done. I'm always amazed that my time is gone. I'm going to close right now. I said, I'm done. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm always amazed at Jesus turning to the disciples. We haven't got time to think about them and saying, guys, you're going to do great things. Like if I'd have been stood, I'd have said, you must be joking. <laughs> but he knows us. And he, know, he knows us. And He knows if we will focus on Him and believe that He is King, that there's a platform for greater things. I believe that you and I can bump in like Columbus bumped into the Caribbean. We can bump into the goodness of God and the favour of God. I believe 2020 can be a year of crashing into His favour. Crashing into His favour when I need it, when I'm at my lowest. Crashing into His favour because He just wants to project me into a whole nother level. Crashing into His favour. I close with this when Sam and I were in Elevation. They have this Elevation Church in Charlotte. They have this motto. Look what God can do through you. I love that motto. They had mirrors and they had it written on the mirror. Look what God can do through you. You see yourself and then you see, look what God can do through you. They have these pictures all over, you know, of, of things that have happened of staff people, kids who've been baptised and they have this wall full of staff, children that have been baptised and are following Jesus. And at the top it says, look what God can do through you. They have those little kaleidoscope things, you know, you know that... Um, you know, you, you have a wheel and you just click through the pictures. They got about 30 of them on a wall and it's the story of elevation from the beginning. And what does it say at the top? Look what God can do through you. Uh, the Icon Church is not about what God can do through me. It's what, through, about what God can do through us, through you. So come on church, let's stand, let's worship and let's determine to look what God can do through you. Come on, let's say it all together. Look what God can do through you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Icon Church. If you'd like any more information about Icon Church, log on to our website at www.icon.church. Have the best week.